historians discovered what we in this room now know, that those reports, they're mostly lies. Nevertheless, it worked. It worked because the public believed the government had everything under control. You see? That is the business model for this great nation of ours. Every business day when that market bell rings, we con people into believing in something. The American dream, family values, could be freedom fries for all I care. It doesn't matter. As long as the con works and people buy and sell whatever it is we want them to. Hello, friend. You've got mail. Welcome to another episode of Hello, Friend. This is a podcast all about Mr. Robot. We're here to talk about the second episode of season two, pretty much called Unmasked Part Two. And it was written and directed by Sam Esmail, the show creator. Bonsoir, Henry. How are you? Doing well, Margaret. Bonsoir. <laughs> uh, uh, how'd you like the, this second half of the first episode, in a sense? things pick up pretty dramatically. I loved this episode. So much about it was blowing my mind. How about you? Yeah, and the way that the episode ends, literally, mind's blown, right? Oh my gosh. Well, there definitely seems to be a recurring theme of shots to the head, head injuries, Elliot's face being injured when he falls off of out of the window. And even as an adult, the front of his head just seems like we're obsessed with head injuries in this series. Yeah. And also people who hurt themselves accidentally or somehow have some tragedy befall them, kind of like Elliot falling out the window. I was on the Mr. Robot Wikia page and they reference where the .tc extension is obtained for this title. And that is referencing a freeware encryption program that was discontinued, but it's called True Crypt. This truly was a tale from the True Crypt, I thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gotta do it with the, the accent uh, and the voice of the... Uh... <laughs> The Crypt Keeper. Crypt Keeper. <laughs> oh, gosh. One of these days we have to talk about the fact that M. Night Shyamalan is doing the revived version of Tales from the Crypt. But I guess that's a story for another day, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what do you think about the way that this episode progressed and took the reins of the story from the last one? First of all, they opened the episode to a song called Game Set and Match by Glitter Bitch. And then they transitioned into... A song by Phil Collins, Take Me Home, which is based on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I have no complaints. And Scott Knowles, just the way that whole scene unfolded in Battery Park, it was phenomenal on so many levels. And this episode, for the first time, you really get a sense of just how precarious things are post-hack. You know, I think in prior podcasts, I kind of talked about how surprised I was and disappointed I was that it didn't seem like that hack had made that much of a difference. But here you really start to see 
the strain and tension and things. The way that Darlene basically masterminded this entire spectacle, I thought was brilliant. The immediacy of the whole situation and the fumbling nature of how Scott just didn't know what he was doing. He puts on the F Society mask and I thought that was one of the freakiest things I've ever seen on television. Yeah, there was a lot of freaky scenes in this episode and the next episode that are pretty envelope pushing for television. I thought so so too, both in terms of its statement on things like big business and, and money, but also the way they deal with real world politicians and officials like the Obama footage, the Leon Panetta footage. And then in the next scene, the Philip Price hanging out with Janet Yellen and Jack Lew of the Secretary of Treasury and Mary Jo White, chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Real world people, I'm trying to say. And you really get a sense of who holds the power and is calling the shots in that scene. Philip Price's comfort and ease. I mean, you've commented a lot on that before in terms of talking about Tyrell. There's just this complete elitism and all Philip really cares is that the one guy has something on his face. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty funny to me how he's able to kind of pull this classic maneuver that people do in meetings sometimes where he keeps <laughs> making the person focus on something that is yet irrelevant but somehow something that can't be ignored. I know of a lot of board meetings that run like that. You know what else I think is really interesting about this particular scene with Philip Price and Janet Yellen or the person portraying that person, the chair of the Federal Reserve System, who's from Berkeley. She taught at Berkeley. I thought it was interesting that Philip Price went into the history of the Great Depression. There seems to be a lot of references to that time period and also World War One in the series as well. And it's not something just in the series. I think politicians as well in the this election year have been kind of making remarks hearkening back to the Great Depression or one of the Great World Wars as saying that this is a, a particularly stressful and dangerous time. Yeah, I, I I totally hear what you're saying. And I thought it was pretty impactful to hear Philip Price, the CEO of Evil Corps, basically lecturing these, these representatives about history and that they need to get with the program and understand that they're all living a lie and deal with it. And we all Oh no, a con doesn't work without the confidence. But this is the best idea you could come up with for a win. I shouldn't be the one resigning. I have to head back to New York. Let me know when you've locked up the votes and wipe your goddamn mouth. The con doesn't work without the confidence, right, Henry? And he really speaks to the fact that perception is a reality, is a perception. What people believe is, is as important as what actually what it is, as far as he's concerned. Yeah, I thought both the scene of Scott Knowles in the park just setting that money on fire and the, the moment he put on the mask and he becomes anonymous, right? He becomes one of them. Even I mean, it's just remarkable. And then transitioning from that to this scene with Philip Price and, and Janet Yellen, quote unquote, and that putting all of the what's going on now in the context of what seems to be a repeating cycle, a repeating vicious cycle, I thought it was just 
so radical to see that on you know TV or on your laptop or what have you. And I really like the fact that Philip Price as a character is getting a lot more screen time in season two. Because in season one, aside from a few scenes, he was really this absent figure uh, that was more in the shadows than on your screen. Yeah, and I can't get a sense of how upset he really is about all that's going on. I can't tell if he's really as calm as he's letting on to be or if he has any worries. It's it's hard for me to get a sense. Do you have a sense of that? Well, I I, I guess the way that I feel is what I think the show uh, writers intend, which is this feeling that there's something bigger going on that he's privy to that we're not and neither is Elliot or F Society. From when he met White Rose at the end of uh, season one, and he, you know he hears, we know who this person is, and it seems like there is plans in motion. That makes me think that there's something larger going on. Yeah, I I think so too. And uh, he, Philip Price, definitely retains an air of mystery. Unlike Joanna Wellick and her kind of dim-witted boyfriend. <laughs> and that happened pretty quickly now, didn't it? Yeah, she really moved on quickly. And it's funny, I saw an interview with the actress who plays Joanna Wellick, Stephanie Cornelson, and she said that she really loves Tyrell. And I'm sure she does, but I still don't get that she cares that much about him. <laughs> yeah, it, she she cares that much about him in this weird S&M kind of way where you know she finds lovers who are not quite adequate substitutes for the man that's truly uh you know the person she loves right well yeah and you know i was spending some time on reddit today i try not to go on reddit too much to research the shows because i try to have original ideas but you know tyrell's definitely a fan favorite and so is joanna so eventually they're going to end up encountering each other again i would imagine and it's going to be an upgrade for her because this guy just i don't know she's kind of wasting her time and we get the sense that she wants to reconnect with Terrell and the way that she gets a suspicious package and she takes the phone and she keeps it with her but yet misses that crucial call there's this feeling of missed opportunities between the two of them I hear you because we assume the mysterious package that she received was from Terrell I can't imagine it was from anyone else it could be but just would make sense it was from him if he's still alive yeah I mean these are all suppositions right like at, at this point I feel like our trust quote unquote in the character Characters and the narrative is somewhat shaken. And so there's always that sense of taking certain things at face value, but then keeping in mind that we might be deliberately misled. Do, yeah. What did you think of the introduction of Dominic DePiro, the FBI agent? Well, I mean, as we can see more in the, the next, as we discuss next episode, um, she's really there to kind of bring about some tension from an unexpected direction. Like similar to how the, the drug dealer character in season one became this agent of chaos uh, where he provided a source of conflict and threat that was from an unexpected vector. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, she's played by the actor Grace Gummer, who's really awesome. And you probably know that she's also Meryl Streep's daughter. I did not know that. But now that you say that, her uh, resemblance to her mother kind of comes into focus. I think the other interesting thing about her character, I, and I want wonder if it's going to come and play at some point is the Amazon Alexa, a connected smart home that she talks to. We find out later on that Dominique is definitely in 
into her smart home technology. Right now, in this episode, we are introduced to her. She's in the bodega. She's talking to Ahmed, holding up the line. She would be totally annoying to be standing in, in line in back of in New York. And I found out, I think from the hacking robot special they had, that the guy standing behind Dominique in that store, he's one of the founders of Anonymous. <laughs> oh, really? Totally self-referential, this show. Yeah, uh, it's becoming a, a badge of honor of sorts for some people to appear in it. Yeah. We were introduced to a new character, right? Ray. AKA Craig Robinson. And again, imaginary or real? I think it's pretty safe to say he's real, but this is what I kind of think about every time a new character is introduced, imaginary or real. Yeah, I mean, I love how on this pickup basketball court, there's there seem to be a lot of really incredibly amazing philosophical conversations going on, which I'm sure happens in real life. Ray is trying to engage Elliot with, what do you see when you're watching a game? What is the truth of what we're seeing? Basketball is deep, Margaret, you know? Basketball is a circle. <laughs> yeah, you're a big fan, right? Yes, I am. I, I know that uh, your eyes sort of glaze over when uh, <laughs> athletic events appear on the screen. <laughs> I definitely like watching a game every now and then. Ray, played by Craig Robinson, he's been in so many movies and TV shows, that actor. He might be best known recently from Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> And Pineapple Express. Hot Tub Time Machine. Wow. Maybe we should do a podcast series on that. <laughs> yeah, I actually saw a Hot Tub Time Machine. I'm proud oh, to say. Okay, well then it's just up to me, right? Oh, he was also in This Is The End, which I'm proud that I also saw. Anyway, <laughs> and Eastbound and Down, which I also saw. So I guess I like a certain type of immature humor. And he was in Pineapple Express, which I think is sort of one of my favorite movies of all time. It's interesting that he was cast in this world. Do you think there's a bit of a social worker vibe that he gives off in his interactions with Elliot? You're touching on something that... A lot of people in Reddit are theorizing about, is he a social worker? Is he a prison guard? Is Elliot in prison? Is he in a in mental institution? He definitely gives off that vibe. I, I like that he seems pretty persistent talking to Elliot. The people around Elliot are like cats. The more Elliot ignores them, the more they want to be around him. He's got that markable reverse or inverse charisma. What did you think of Ray in general other than that? Uh, you know, I, I think... Uh... I withhold judgment about a lot of characters, especially when they first appear. Um, I could totally relate to Elliot's initial reaction of like, dude, just leave me alone. I'm here to watch a game, you know? And like how he just continues to kind of try to push on through that resistance. I did appreciate that Ray got to rag on Adele saying that he was going to have to put Adele on repeat after Elliot kept spurning him. That scored some points with me. <laughs> well, you know, we, Adele can heal a lot of wounds, Margaret. You just need to embrace it. Yep. And then, of course, you know, we've got Men in Black guarding Joanna, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. What'd you, what'd you make of that? I just keep going back to the fact that I think she's a high-level handler of some kind. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. She's There's so much that's hard to explain given the facts at hand, right? Yeah, and same thing with Angela. It's kind of hard to explain how she's made such a dramatic transformation, even if she is listening to those aspirational CDs. Yeah, that to me is is interesting. Like, I wonder, is, is she, like, doing a role? Is she, like, super deep cover? Or is this just some <laughs> sort of dramatic transformation that we're supposed to believe? Because it just seems... I don't know. It's it's hard for me to believe that she'd make such a dramatic 
dramatic shift given the character that we were we were exposed to in season one. Yeah, there's a lot of this that is compelling and yet doesn't totally ring true. Like, for example, that she's so obsessed with Sonic Youth that she would listen to a song from 1994, but maybe she would. And how unlike she is in the office, that was very realistic, I thought, where there are these weird, petty political alliances that happen in some offices where people just get frozen out immediately or or little clicks uh, spin out. So I thought that was cool. And it was interesting to see Angela programming herself like Elliot's trying to. Yeah, they're both big fans of these affirmative statements. <laughs> yes, totally. I- I know a lot of people who who do those kinds of things. Really? I feel like a lot of people in Silicon Valley listen to these kinds of uh, aspirational CDs. I will be a good podcaster. I will make <laughs> comments. I will be funny. And God bless it. People will like me like that. <laughs> you know what? I'm starting to wonder if you have uh, been subscribing to some of these aspirational services. I, I think I just watched a lot of old Saturday Night Light episodes with uh, uh, Phil Hartman. <laughs> Angela ends up dropping the case because she's decided that she likes her job at Evil Corp, turning around 380 degrees or whatever that is, whatever that degree is. <laughs> uh, that would be 180 probably because 360 <laughs> just means that you've done a twirl. <laughs> 360 just means you've done a twirl. You're going in one direction, you totally turn around and you're going in the same direction. <laughs> I never said math was one of my strong points, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Angela even goes so far, she picks up some hot guy at a bar, at that same bar where she is hanging out. And I'm starting to wonder if that guy's going to be a regular or if he's just a, a one-time affair. Yeah, she's really kind of uh, experimenting and uh, growing in some ways as a character. She's also rocking those fake eyelashes like nobody's business. Yeah, she's got this whole, there's this whole kind of weird Pygmalion uh, sort of story going on, right? Where she's uh, transforming her appearance. She's gotten a different job. She's climbing this corporate ladder as well as the social ladder what what sort of trajectory is she on and for what purpose it's hard to tell really and i don't even know if the character knows i think she's right now she seems like she's trying to be something that she's not and the positive response she's getting from evil corp not to again just just um, regard her talent but it seems a little overkill i mean i don't know yeah the the way that Philip Price is so nice to her, it just makes me very suspicious, right? Because it's almost like a part of me wonders whether or not Evil Corp knows about her relationship to Elliot, who might be behind the hack. And it's in their interest to keep such a valuable hostage or pawn close to them. I wonder about this. Yes. And of course, this whole first two episodes from the season are really about, in one part, you know, wearing masks and Angela's got certainly got her mask mask on and Elliot is very confused who is the mask and what do people see when they see him and he goes into that maniacal laughter all of this leads to one of the final scenes with Gideon at the bar did you see that coming at all Henry I jumped when when that happened I literally had a startle reflex so no did not see that coming at all so this guy Brock starts chatting up Gideon and what does he start talking about? That they're reliving Black Tuesday. He goes into the history books too. We're reliving Black Tuesday. The Great Depression. Morning lights were flashing. 
In the last two years, the Army Corps of Engineers, the Energy Department, the State Department, and the Office of Personnel Management were all hacked. The government claimed they were boosting security, but what came of it? Same as 1929. Shit hit the fan. An act like this changes people, changes society. I'm just having a drink. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm rambling like a fanatic. <laughs> is there something else you want to talk about? Tells Gideon he knows who he is. I really thought it was somebody hitting on Gideon. It looks like Gideon's husband left him. So he's all by himself. He's at the lowest point. Yeah, I was wondering if he was somehow related to the Dark Army or if there was uh, maybe some relationship with the, that character, Torrell. Uh, I did not expect him to shoot him in the head again. Headshot. Yeah, he says, tomorrow I'm going to be a hero. And he also said to Gideon, you might just be a patsy. So that's a very loaded term in American culture. But I've never met a bigger crisis actor than you before. And that's another very loaded term. Yeah, and that's a really kind of odd term to use, right? Crisis actor. Like, it makes it, if it sounds like from what we learned in the episode that he was caught, but it almost made me wonder, like, is this something, is that something that someone who had done that multiple times? Might yes. And, and as you know, in the world of conspiracy theory, there are a lot of people who think that a lot of these horrible events that get captured on, on video of violence are performed by so-called crisis actors that whoever the nefarious forces are in charge hire people to pretend to be victims, quote unquote, of massacres and stuff like that. It's a really dark or unsavory part of conspiracy theory. Getting into the dark underbelly of uh, alternative history. I think it's really fascinating. They're definitely trolling the internet, the writers, for a lot of this conspiracy theory that's out there. And then, of course, the moment we're all waiting for, Bonsoir Elliot. It's Tyrell. And Elliot just gets so undone by Tyrell. It's fascinating. Yeah. And really kind of makes you look forward to the next episode because I guess the burning thematic question that's going to be dangled right in front of our noses all throughout season two is where's Terrell? What happened to Terrell? Yeah, and I want Terrell to come back because he's amusing AF. <laughs> and, the, and the bums that he boxes with a lot and pays, I'm sure, miss the extra income. It was great uh, chatting about this episode, Margaret. Uh, really looking forward to the rest of season two and uh, hearing uh, about what you think about the upcoming episodes. Yes, I can't wait till the rest of this season is unmasked, Henry. Get it? <laughs> yes, I get it. <laughs> well, if anyone wants to add to the conversation, feel free to post on our Facebook page at Hello Friend Podcast or get in touch with us that way or on SoundCloud and rate and review us on iTunes. You know the whole drill. Thanks, everybody, and talk to you soon. I'm telling you, it's non-negotiable. No one's going to let you take that question off the table. The money burning is a big part of why everyone wants the exclusive. Bloomberg line two for you. Except for CNN, which you guys don't want. I gotta call you back. Hi, Foster. I thought the deadline was noon. It's noon now. It's five past, Angela, and look. Writers are agreeing to the questions. It's also giving us top of the hour and Kelly. Price doesn't even like Kelly. I'll budge on the time slot, but I can't on the question. 
It's fair game. Talk to the segment producer and call me back. Angela, I already know the answer. You're supposed to make this happen five minutes. Just call me back. Paul Markinson. We don't want CNBC or Fox News for that matter. I think you should let Melissa handle this. Done deal? Not gonna happen. Scott Knowles burning $5.9 million is on the table or not at all. We're going with CNBC. They're sending a deal memo as we speak. You know I would rather go with you. You gotta twist their arm. Bullshit. Did you just hang up on Bloomberg? Are you trying to get fired? Leave. Excuse me? Leave. <laughs> when Melissa finds out. Get her. Go ahead and get her. Tell her whatever you want. But right now, get out of my fucking cubicle.